Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. Uh, this week's episode is one of I say this every time, one of my favorites, but I think this one is going to be very powerful and very impactful for everybody that is listening. It is honestly what I would consider the holy grail of not only investment management and you know portfolio management, but also of financial planning. Um, I, this is what originally drew Ryan and I together. Um, we were both operating independent you know, financial planning and investment management businesses. And during our independent quests to find the perfect solution for our clients in terms of their retirement income or income after their Freedom Day, we were drawn together. I originally read a lot of things that Ryan uh, had been publishing and just the strategy of, of rising dividends um, or dividend growth investing that we are really going to discuss today in detail um, drew us together. And as we looked at the way the industry was handling the problem of income after people leave their their job and in retirement um there were a lot of holes in it and a lot of problems with basically every strategy that we saw whether it's you know a withdrawal rate a safe withdrawal rate um you know different bucket strategy i mean just the, the world had all of these solutions and as i thought through these and as ryan thought through these we just came up with more questions that seemed like than answers and so what we're going to talk about today is the way that we manage uh, investment portfolios at Freedom Day and the way that, that we think is the best way to manage a portfolio, whether you're a do-it-yourself investor or you have a trusted guide, of looking for companies that will pay you not only a dividend, but a rising dividend. And we're going to discuss something that we call mailbox math, which is one of the most powerful topics in all of finance, something that I think is criminally under-discussed. And if you ever meet me in a hallway or at a dinner, I'm probably talking about mailbox math to the detriment of my wife. Um, and then we're going to pop the hood and we're really going to talk about Ryan's process as the portfolio manager of how in the world you look at companies and how you determine what company is going to pay you a dividend and a dividend uh, increase in the future and how you build a portfolio there. So I, I really want to make this episode known during the intro here that this is the holy grail of, of, of investing and it brings together kind of that financial planning side of our, our line of work and, and what we love with the investment management. It sits right in the middle and offers this really powerful, really simple, really elegant approach to managing money. And I think it's really timely because, especially right now in the market, and not to say we're on the brink of anything, but but the market is not right now acting how it's acted in the past 10 years. And so a lot of investors are wondering, you know, where do we go from here? What do we do? And this is not a prediction. This is not us reading, you know, economic reports and macro outlooks and forming a conclusion on what we think is going to be the next trade or the next sector or the next macroeconomic, you know, way to navigate through this. This is going to solve a problem that us normal everyday folk have, something that you can have at any age, any wealth level, and it's packaged in a really elegant, easy to understand solution. So without me rambling on any further, the art of rising dividends um, and why we think this applies not only to ourselves, but to our clients. We'll start with the one investment metric that stood the test of time, which clears out a lot. 
That's right. Um, a dividend has been paid for more than 200 years. If you could then, and it took me a couple of decades to learn this, if you could then marry that with the best clue of companies' improvement, which is being able to pay stakeholders an increased dividend, I found that you are well on the way to finding what will last the longest and reward you the most. And I don't say that lightly. It took me a long time to learn that. This is not what we think. It's not what we like. It's not a theme. Um, if, if anything, we're the 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 anti theme. The one of the antonyms to the word theme is truth. I like math. I like truth. I like simplicity. And to bring us all together and start out on the same page, you may not have ever bought a dividend stock and may not really know how to separate dividends versus rising dividends and the quality of those. We're going to get into the difference here in a little bit, but I want to start on the same page where this is accessible earlier and longer to anybody listening to this, because I was guilty early on Wall Street before I escaped and thinking that there was got to be better growth strategies. So we're going to humbly share the best of all time, blue to the blue chip growth and how mailbox math even compares to that. Because if there's one myth I would love to dispel is that dividends are somehow or another boring or too conservative next to growth. Or as you get a little bit further down the path as an investor, you will eventually ask yourself, do I need more growth or income, which our entire industry spends debating and creating products for that one debate. Do I add more growth or income? Is this now the right time or depending on macro events and interest rates and the Fed? I would humbly suggest you eliminate all of those. I think it's the wrong question to begin with. I think the one question that will affect investors the most going forward, and the most of them, is going to be how do I achieve growth of income? So the best way to bring us all together and start on the same page is you have to at least humbly ask yourself of your own strategy, whatever it is and however well it may be working. What if the market always isn't going up? And what if advisors, I will humbly challenge, and now I'm just being a little too polite, I would actually fire them if they tell you to just hang in there because it always goes up over the long term. It does not always go up over the long term. Those big, giant Ibbotson charts on the back of their yeah, wall, right. and they say, just hang in there, it always works. Well, if you zoom in, there's a lot of squiggly lines, and the little bitty ones may be your entire 30-year retirement. Yeah, right. What if it starts off? at a period like 1968, where the stock market was at the exact same place in 1982. I started in the business, that was somebody else's problem. Then all of a sudden, I get married in 2000, thankfully not retiring yet, but 13 years later, the stock market is exactly where it was, March of 2000. Well, I'm not gonna be in, indexes. I'm a stock player. I'm a growth I'm a growth guy. I'm going to find the best tech, the game changers. All right. Well, the best game changer early in my career was a little company called Microsoft and including all of that unbelievable growth. And you will find another one as you're sitting here thinking, and when I was doing, I'm, I'm going to find the next one. Just also be prepared for a company, the bluest of the blue chips, like Microsoft, to spend 17 years to get back to break even if you buy it at the wrong time. So we're going to talk valuations here in a little while also. In either of those cases, while you're waiting, whatever you're doing, 
at some point your family is going to count on you to be paid while you sleep or are not working and how do you achieve annual pay raises so i'd at least like to start there with a humble acknowledgement that the stock market does not always go up and over very long periods of time if you are withdrawing principal and hope for appreciation which is my not so polite description of the safe withdrawal rate it's actually whoa anytime somebody says that i would say whoa w-h-o-a withdrawing hopes of appreciation is not a plan it's a prediction so i uh I, I could not agree more with that and i just want to kind of frame this as an advisor that that wasn't with freedom day or in this dividend growth rising dividend strategy my entire career uh, i started off i was on the trading desk of fidelity realized i hated trading and, and looking at a computer all day and like talking to humans so i very quickly moved over to the advisor desk and during my training here uh, they showed us this chart and it was the sequence of returns risk. And it was basically like, you know, these made up scenarios where you've got 30 years in column one, which represents scenario one, and then scenario two is the same 30 years. But at the beginning of scenario one, you've got like three or four years of negative market returns followed by, you know, mark, you know, positive market returns. And then they flip it upside down and you've got positive returns followed by negative returns in like year 27, 28 during scenario two. And the idea was that if you have a set withdrawal rate from scenario one and you get hit with negative years right off the bat in your retirement, you're going to run out of money in like year 14 or 15. I'm not talking you're not going to be able to pull money. You're going to run out of money, right? And then if you get it right or lucky and you retire and you've got good years and the bad years come at the end, you're going to be fine and you're going to have more money. you know. And, and so I always said, well, what do we, what do, we do? And they say, well... You know, you just have to talk to clients and convince them to not pull any money out. And, and like they gave us this very surface level answer where in the back of my mind, in the back of every other advisor's or professional investor's mind, it's what happens if I just sat down with a client and told them markets always go up over the long run. Yet for the next six years, you get hammered with not even negative years, just flat years. And now your nest egg has dwindled so much lower. So I think this is a really good intro to mailbox math and what I would consider the most criminally under discussed. If you find me at a party, I'm talking about this because I'm trying to preach the Holy gospel of this to as many people as I can, this mailbox math of a different way to look at it besides just pull X percent of your portfolio a year and tighten the belt. If it gets rough. And, and to disclose one bias all along and throughout this, that we are guilty as charged in every aspect of our business and every asset class, we believe in active management. So this is not a buy into something, hold it and forget it. And we'll challenge here in a second to prove that point. The longest lasting of all simple dividend strategies, they're known as the dividend aristocrats and the kings. You could do a lot worse than starting there, but just believing in a story or a tradition can get you in a lot of trouble, even with the bluest of the blue chip dividend payers. So we're going to unbundle that and dispel a few myths here in a second too, just to, um, as, as biased as we are about active management, we want to, want to share objectively some math as to why, but active management is, is, it's not about being right and an ego, which a lot of folks mischaracterize and they think they're the smartest guys or gals in the room and they want to prove that. I couldn't disagree more, at least in our case, it's much more about getting it right than wanting to be right. And the simple math suggests, dare I say, requires active management. I'll give you an example. Companies change. That same growth stock 
Microsoft, just to pick on a low yield. When we talk about the difference between high and low yield and where to start here in a second, we pop the hood. But here's a low dividend yield when it started to aggressively raise its dividend, which turned my eye and said, something else is happening there. These gigantic growth years, and they're not done yet, they just started piling up free cash that the company decided to reward its stakeholders and companies change policies. Apple was another one. The former right. CEO said, we will never pay a dividend. And after he was gone, they began to pay a dividend. If you're not under those hoods and seeing some of the dynamic change that I think requires active management, just like when a company slows down its dividend, companies can be sold or bought as they change. And I believe change requires active management. But when Microsoft started to raise its dividend in 2010 at only 1.6% dividend yield, so income focused investors would say that's not enough. I'd much rather go buy bonds or high yield bonds, especially it's double digit at that point earlier, high single digits. And it's been declining lately. We're going to share high and low yield comparisons here in a second. But the mailbox math that you speak of, Jackson, that anybody can do with a pencil in the back of their own envelope, the dividend today on the price that they paid for shares, however long they've held it, Let's just use, use that low yielder to bring it all home. That Microsoft 1.6% starting dividend yield in 2010 today is paying stakeholders 8% plus and rising. That's not factoring in any reinvestment, not a penny of appreciation, none of the growth, none of just the free cash flow. Analysts around the world, the best of, when they're looking at businesses, they will know free cash flow is the oxygen of a good business. I would say, why don't investors require the same of their own business, their own plan? Free cash flow, 8% and rising. You have just, with the simplest of math, set yourself up to beat every single withdrawal rate, sophisticated, confusing financial plan that's hoping and debating endlessly for the rest of your life, there will be debates about, is it 3%, 4%, 5%? The godfather of withdrawal rate himself has changed the answer and stopped doing it. You don't even have to ever worry about that if your free cash flow is double the withdrawal of principal and hope for appreciation. And that was from a low yielder. So people may know me as the, the crypto the crypto side of the conversation and one of the most appealing sides of crypto is you can get yield there's yield here eight percent yield on cost with a relatively low yielding starting point is higher than just about any of the most attractive DeFi yields that you can find without being completely you know venturing into ponzi scheme territory like to put that into perspective that is so incredibly powerful and we're talking about the investment side, the investment management side of this, and, and my jaw hits the floor every time I see this math. But then I want to just challenge people to put that into the planning perspective and what that does for an investment portfolio, what that does for when you quit working, the peace of mind that you have. And that's why we call it sacred money, right? Because and now we're looking yeah, – sorry. Now, I was going to say, to, to, to put a real fine point on what you're saying and use an extreme example, I'll use another one. But you're talking about, and one thing I hate is cherry picking 
great success story. So that's why I specifically picked a low yielder. This is actually the, the most conservative of dividend pay raisers because it also is the only triple A rated balance sheet in all of technology. So you have a triple A rated credit source. And I'll compare that to, to fixed income version of DeFi, which is junk bond or the highest yield, the riskiest of fixed income. And you're close to half as much as the triple A rated mailbox math right now today. High yield is, the index is a little bit less than 5%. So I would humbly submit there should be no such thing in your mind as fixed income. For one thing, the traditional plans, if they're gonna use the high yield, it can go from 10 to five, which we've seen here recently, and never consider the equity side, because that's for growth, but those rising income streams can outpace even the highest yielding fixed income. There is no such thing as fixed income. And even if there were, I want a pay raise every year, that's right. not a fixed stream. Multiple sources, and we'll talk about how we put those together, even better. But that's a good example um, and, and a simple, low-yielding example. And I guess that's a, a good way to pivot into how we find them and how we look at them. Um, most dividend investors will start with being attracted, understandably, to highest-yielding companies. And I would say in any investment, whether you're talking about real estate, crypto, equities, bonds, no matter what it is, if the quoted yield seems excessively high, my godfather sell discipline is to what do I owe this great act of generosity? That's right. That's where I start. No, it's powerful. And, and when you think about dividend investing, you know, like, so I'm, I'm walking through in my mind, like the journey of an investor or the journey of an advisor. They say, you know what, I, I'd really like to just focus on, on cash flow from my investments. And, and maybe that's a better way to plan, right? So they, they've already kind of gone through the first checkpoint of, oh, maybe there is something better than relying on the markets to always go up or relying on bond yields to continue coming down or whatever, right? Um, they'll naturally just start looking at, and I see this all over, you know, uh, Twitter, people talking about this or, you know, investment ideas or, or forums or discussions. They say, oh, well, I can go find some yield and I've, I'm looking at this fund or this strategy that's offering a 6% yield or a 5% yield. Um, and, and I think what we're how we're framing this is not all of these yields and not all the companies that are paying dividends are created equal. And so Ryan's really going to start uh, like diving into how we go about picking or doing the due diligence on these companies, because you can look at a company that's paying a really high yield and uh, you can look at another company, Microsoft, for example, that had a much start, a lower starting yield. And the result in 10 years is going to be dramatically different because there are different factors and things that you need to consider besides just yield or starting yield when making investment allocations. And if we want to just get one more bird with this same stone of anybody worried about inflation, um, if what you own are generating free cash flow, double digit growth rates, which is where we like to start, and you're outpacing inflation, guess what you get to do with all those inflation, Federal Reserve economic reports and forecasts? You literally can ignore them as distractions they are. You want to significantly outpace inflation. Um, so we have a five-step process. As always, our hope 
and we're trying to pull this off with every episode is literally open our entire playbook. So if someone wanted to start to piece together or try or learn to do this on their own, we want to give them some of those tools. I knew nothing about fly fishing and I wanted my guide to show me how to do this. I just, I'm that kind of guy. And I know some folks listening. I'm also the kind of guy that says, after work, where do you go? <laughs> Can I go there and just follow you? Because I'm never going to be able to put it, but I appreciate you. So we're going to do that. Um, do I think a trusted guide in anyone, it took me a long time to learn this, would be helpful? Yes, we'll answer those questions as well. But on your own, at least getting your head around some of this, I think people can do some of this on their own. And along the way, we're going to shoot at a couple of the I think lazy ways to approach this and indexed or passive or packaged products that are solutions that are frankly easy to outflank if you are willing to do a little bit of homework. So our five-step process is first and foremost, before we worry about the end result and dividends, we want operating business advantage. So one simple way of looking at that that would astound most folks just getting started, and dare I say, most sophisticated investors that don't really want their clients to know, we own a lot of businesses that are not growing their top line revenue. They might financially engineer a way to generate earnings per share or maybe kick out a dividend, but their best days are behind them. They are not growing their top line. That's an operating business advantage, one, one of many examples. If you just start there, you would be shocked at how many S&P 500 companies, the best of the best, are eliminated. What they have left over and eventually being able to be paid out as a dividend, we want to measure that growth, but we very importantly want to measure the quality of that dividend. Step number three, when we look at the operating business advantage, when we look at the direction of the dividend growth and its quality, we want those advantages to be expanding. One of in my humble opinion, laziest approaches with dividends is just find great American companies, big wide moats, and you're done. And you you could do a lot worse. But right. one thing I know about moats is they can spring a leak. They're highly competitive in this world of capitalism. If you have a big advantage, and there could be a competitor that opens up across the water from that moat. Or investors see that wide moat and bid up the shares and you're overpaying whether you realize it or not. When you go through a market regime change, you're going to find out who's been overpaying. It doesn't matter for a while until it does. Um, and that leads into the fourth step, which is price. If you are willing to be selective and active, and that's our advantage, our bias, instead of just owning a giant basket or some of these dividend funds that have hundreds of companies and just kind of own them all, if you're willing to be selective and sit in that hunting blind till you have operating business advantage, a healthy dividend, quality and that's rising, you could actually wait until you're able to underpay for superior fundamental businesses. That does happen. And sorry to rip out all of those efficient market chapters in economics books, but the market does not reflect all known information. I'm here to tell you we own right now companies that are fundamentally growing significantly faster and we are paying less than a market multiple, sometimes considerably less. And then Fifth and final, just a simple balance and a humble acknowledgement of I don't ever want to be betting on an area or an industry or sector, which oftentimes, especially with dividends, attracts crowds 
into the highest dividend paying sector or two or three, I want to say across the board, all sectors, what would be a surprising example of a technology company like we found earlier? And there's another one again that starts to just pay a dividend early. And instead of being a dividend king and proudly hitting your chest as a company or an advisor to say, we have 50 straight years of dividend growth. Well, just pop the hood a little bit and tell me that if you're growing your dividend at 1.3% a year, I think that's to keep their tradition and the royal name more than it is generating substantially more free cash flow. And all of the math would lead you into that. But that's what we're up against. And that's why I think it's easy to outflank um, even the best of the best. And aristocrats and kings are companies that have raised their dividend 25 or 50 consecutive years. Some of them may be wildly overvalued, not growing their top line, and really not even growing their dividend as much just to stay on that list. Um, we want double-digit dividend growth rates, not 1% or 2%. And then of the faster growers, if you can pay out, and in our case, we're paying out free cash flow payout, one of the ways we measure quality, less than half of free cash flow for a rising dividend. The aristocrats and kings are paying close to two-thirds of free cash flow. So higher quality, higher growth, and cheaper valuation, and that's up against the best of traditions. And this is not a... ETF or separately managed strategy comment. We're, compliance precludes us from mentioning our ETF or ticker, but we're we're balanced in our view. We have private accounts, separate accounts, and we built a more efficient solution for both taxes and um, transparency and scalability for ourselves as investors first in an ETF. So it can be in either category. I'm speaking fundamentally of our strategy, which applies in both. And, you know, I talked about at the beginning of the episode how this is kind of the holy grail. And what I meant by that is it sits right in between the the investment management and the financial planning side. And if you think about this, you know, Ryan just popped the hood and went deep into the investment selection and on the investment management side of how you start with, you know, a big bracket of companies and what you look at and kind of how you narrow it down to companies that, you feel good about owning because they can back it up, right? They're walking the walk, not just talking the talk, but also like tying this back into the investment side, you know, you've spent your entire, the planning side, you've spent your entire life saving money, knowing that one day you're going to need to live on that money and use it for the rest of your life. And if you can go to bed at night, knowing that there's been this due diligence, this research done, and that every dollar that you've managed to save over the course of your career, however long it was, uh, is invested into a company that is doing these fundamental things correctly and that you're aligned with incentively for the next period of your life, that's just a really good feeling. And it takes all the pressure off. Love, I love the idea of somebody just grabbing the Wall Street Journal and just throwing it in the garbage every morning and instead, you know, grabbing like, you know, golf magazine and driving to the course or something. So, you know, when we talk about that and the reason I'm so passionate and the reason that Ryan and I talk about this so much is because of what this unlocks and how powerful it is. And it just, it, it's the best approach that we have seen and can think of and know that it's going to solve a lot of the problems and questions that investors are going to face moving forward. Well, and that's a, that's a great way to end and also be excited about next episodes and other topics, not just on this show, but in your own life. And we want to hear those comments and questions because that mailbox math of being able to start with a humble 
2% yield, 1%, 3%, whatever it may be, on your way very quickly in a few years to five, six, seven, eight plus, then double digit annual dividend yield on cost. That's what we call mailbox math. Back of the envelope, you can summarize it real quickly. What else that will allow you to do? Because once you have that sacred multiple streams coming, paying you while you sleep, you can take risks with the rest. You can use cash and invest in anything you wish if you have that backbone and annual pay raises. And that humility also starts. Well, that selection process I just went through, I want to make sure I put this fine point on it because I think this is the why most even professional money managers, the smartest of the bunch, eventually get carried out on their shield. It's what they believe in too much and they become too concentrated or too levered to that. The best part of active management, in my opinion, is the humility of cell disciplines, not only when you're wrong, but when the facts and the math change. This is not something, and I use the one example of indexing or aristocrats or kings to just buy and believe in. This does take active management and math, and we're happy to share on an ongoing basis our process if it helps anybody get to a better place. I love it, and as always, please reach out with any questions. We are happy to chat with anybody, answer any questions, take a phone call. Our website is freedomdaysolutions.com, and our email address, please send anything, any question you have, team at freedomdaysolutions.com, and we will see you all next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.